Welcome to Pulsible Thumbs, a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. My name is Rob Ray. I use he, his gender pronouns, and I'm a designer by day and an artist by night, and I make music and objects using the name Shimmering Trash Pile. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY enthusiast, CAD cam evangelist, noted tall person, Midwestern Viking, full-time parent, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. Yes. Taylor, I have an introductory thing that I wanted to go over. Do tell. Okay. We have a new format. And one of the things I wanted to share about the new format is if in the past episodes you've heard a sound that goes like, that sound is letting you know that there is a new photo on your phone in your podcast player. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because when we make that sound, like the old school film strips style sound, we use the film strip beep to let you know there's a new picture on the screen. So I just want to let people know what was up with that. Kind of, I'm kind of hoping that in this episode, it's actually just you saying beep, but beep. I'm guessing that you're going to cover that over. <laughs> beep. The other thing about the new format is, just uh, to sort of orient folks, is we are investigating the work of an artist or creative, otherwise creative person that we like, and we ideate and make a thing inspired by that artist and then perhaps in the future we'll have that person on we may not have that person on but um that's our goal maybe we'll come up with some boilerplate language for the intro yeah we should do that so last episode i picked an artist emily velasco so we selected her as a person uh i highlighted one specific piece um which is um and i'll briefly describe it and beep we'll show the work right now on your podcast player of choice and that work seems to be and probably is a cube of resin not quite sure what the dimensions are maybe a few inches by a few inches and in that resin seems to be something like iron filings or something metallic and a magnet is used to create this really nice kind of exploding bloom or like vertices of iron filings sort of oriented towards the magnetism of the magnet um and so that's that's the work we'll be talking about today and and then also maybe other stuff um that emily's done yeah do you want to just jump right into the um the thing that you made or do you want to talk about something else first sure sure yeah yeah we can we can jump in um taylor i sent you a pdf i got it open right in front of me Cool. And I'm also going to admit right out of the top that I did not do my homework. Aha. I'm in the absolute um, um, <laughs> anxiety-inducing pinch before the semester begins. Um, so I do have things that I've brought to talk about and share and another artist for us to explore. Oh, great. But I'm I'm very happy you did such a thorough job here. Oh, cool. And we um, actually, this, this thing I'm about to share, Taylor, may... Uh, it may be a reason for us to re-revisit Emily's work in the next episode. Mm-hmm. What I really, really enjoy about Emily's creative practice is how fun it is, like, and how um, <laughs> curious. Get that fun out of here. Yeah, like how curious it is. Like, there isn't there isn't a sort of insistence on a particular form or a particular technique or strategy. Um, it's, it's a lot of things like Emily right now, I think last, last few posts I saw, um, from her was she's making wine from figs, mm-hmm. like, which is super, super cool. Uh, and there's so much of her work spoke to how I think about making stuff and also about the podcast. So that's why, um, I mentioned her work, but this sort of iron filings explosion thing, I thought we could sort of think about, uh, 
more specifically. So I think because it's a new format for us, like sort of thinking about making work inspired by someone else's work, mm-hmm. I kind of drew a blank. Like I was just like, dang it. I, 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 like, and I realized something about myself that I always fight with, but, but don't kind of really truly work to mitigate, which is I often, and you've, I, this has come up on the podcast before, but in different ways, I often just sort of sit there hoping something is going to come to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so part of what I've done to help mitigate Manna that from heaven. Yeah. It, so part of what I've done to help mitigate from that, and I've shared some strategies on the podcast before is I do things like, um, mind mapping in order to explore or kind of take myself in directions I wouldn't normally go. I've also Classic created a, approach. Yes. I've also created a style guide for myself, which is, um, a way to kind of hem in, um, my own creative strategies or typefaces or colors or whatever that I might use, um, when thinking about work. But what I haven't done is really think about like in being inspired by another person's work. Right. Mm, and so mm-hmm. I was like, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this work and just think about how it could manifest in different ways. Like if this was a blank, what would it be? And so what I did is I made a little PDF and Taylor, maybe just because I've talked for quite some time, maybe if you could describe uh, the first, second and third um, pages, I'll then do the fourth and fifth and we can trade, we can trade off in doubles. Yeah. So we're taking a look at, um, uh, maybe this is going to be Rob's thought process or something in one of Emily's, presumably it's Emily's work and not um, a version that you did. That's right. Where there's a sort of ice cube, like big cast block of resin with a, um, explosion a frozen explosion on the interior of purple glitter it looks like yep so rob's going to be talking about an explosion of strategies inspired by emily's work asking what if this was a garden is the first question and then he's got a nice little kind of classically style book graphic designerly approach to taking her piece and breaking it down so first in in terms of a color chart and then thinking about the way that it's reminiscent of different um, species of flower and fruits and vegetable or something else that you refer to in text, but have not yet uh, illustrated. Yep. Yep. So I asked myself, like, what if this piece was not iron filings in resin? What would the same experience be through something else? And so the first one I said is, what if it was a garden? And this was inspired by me walking the dog and just and just sort of like looking at the different colors of all the flowers out right now, even though it's super hot in Los Angeles. Also, Emily's Instagram feed and stuff has occasional like posts of things from from the garden and also the fig wine thing. And I was like, oh, this, this seems like in the realm. Uh, and so, I yeah, I made a sort of 12 color color palette from the colors. And there are lots of greens and fuchsias, purples, grays. You know, Taylor, it was really interesting. I looked really hard for a color search engine that lets you put in your own color. There are color search engines that let you put in, like you click their yellow button, you know, mm-hmm. but there's no like put in this hex value, not good ones. Really? Oh, I, I thought I've seen ones where you put an image in just like you've done and then it busts it down. Yes. What was interesting is I put in an image of just the color that I wanted mm-hmm. and it gave me back just panels of that color. <laughs> like it took it, to, it interpreted <laughs> right. it too literally. Yeah. Um, so maybe I should have just put emily's photo into those but i was really looking for something that's like what i wanted to get to was like here's this hex value what flowers have this hex value in them you know Mm -hmm. or something close to it 
The only thing I found, which was kind of cool, is FTD, the flower delivery service or whatever, does have this um, <laughs> type of thing, which is cool. Yeah. Um, what had occurred to me about this explosion shape, even though it's magenta, it has a green background, was um, like choya cactus or different really spiky cactuses. And then I found, of course, cactuses that are really close to me um, and also are really strongly in, in Emily's color palette, which is the prickly pear cactus. So that's mm-hmm. how I got that's how I got to there. And then the next one I had was what if these colors were a sound? So taking the same color palette, how might you interpret this as sound? And so I found mm. a, a couple of cool tools. One of them I had found before and totally forgot that I talked about on the podcast, which is ways to map um, notes on a musical scale to different colors. And this idea of synesthesia, right, where sound and color um, sort of had these correlations in people's brains. So that could be an interesting way to explore this piece purely sonically, right? Like, what if it was a sound? What if these colors were a sound and um, how might we hear them? So A, a flat and E's is what you've discovered. Yes, that's right. Because in the color wheel, those those map. Would you like me to continue? Sure. Okay, so what if this shape was a sound? And so as before, you were saying, what if the colors were a sound? Now it's what if the shape, that sort of um, exploding firework kind of thing. Yep. And this one's a little more complex with quotes, so you may want to cover it. But I see you doing some things in there, like a link to um, a Vice article that seems to be taking a deformed plane that's somehow either a visualization of sound over time or something that you can apply code to in order to produce sound back out of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's this person, George, Georgios Cherovim, mm-hmm. has this cool kind of instrument, maybe, um, software instrument. Mm, the geophone. The, the geophone, yeah. And the geophone is cool. It it lets you take a 3D model. It, it's not available online. I think it's just a tool he uses for himself to create his work. But um, GitHub, my dude, show us the goods. Yeah, right, totally. So you load a model into it, and it kind of walks the model almost like um, a slicer or mm-hmm. something, you, you know, where it. you can sort of see the uh, making of the object. So it takes these points on the XYZ axis that make up the shape, and then he sort of maps those to different sounds. You can kind of draw a path over the shape, and it's almost like reading the grooves of a vinyl record. It takes the undulations underneath your mouse path and... um plays them back which is pretty cool and then the next one i did was what if the shape was a radio transmission so kind of inspired by sound i was like i have seen these visualizations of antenna transmitters and receivers and they're really interesting patterns that are sort of come out of these um, antenna the radio waves and so this made me think about that and that made me think about this um, short film that i haven't seen yet but i really want to see called john was trying to contact aliens it's a new netflix short it's like 20 minutes long about (laughs) I don't know that one, but it sounds like it's at my alley. Yeah, it's. I just watched the trailer for it uh, like a week or two ago, and it's been in my brain as like something I really want to see. But it's just about this person who in the 70s and 80s, as a teenager, became really interested in contacting aliens. And so he spent like a large chunk of his life um, creating these like very, very nice instruments. Like you can see in the in the photo here, and we'll put it in chapter art that um, these really nice just bespoke transmitters and receivers and uh, like just these really cool um, P3 
pieces of hardware to uh, send like Afrobeat and jazz and reggae music into space, <laughs> uh, hoping to contact aliens. So is, is he the one machining those parts? They they do like really sculptural. They look great, don't they? Yeah, I, I don't know. So ho- hopefully we'll find out in the in the documentary. But the documentary is called again. It's called John was trying to contact aliens, and we'll link to that in show notes. Um, so that was really interesting to me, to me, like thinking about like what if it was an explosion of radio waves and what what transmissions might go into space. I just saw for the first time this idea that you could build a, a telescope that was the size of the planet. Are you familiar with this proposal? Oh my gosh, no. So it it has something to do with the way you know we know that light is affected by gravity, right? If you have enough gravity, got which it. Is why okay. black holes are black. Yep. And so there's this. I'll have to look through the article and see if I can find the name for the point. But there's this point once you get far enough away from the Earth. Um, if you were to have I think you have one part of the telescope in orbit a certain distance away, and then the other part is on the opposite side of the planet, and it actually uses the gravitational field of the Earth as a lens. And um, so the larger the mirror, right, the the bigger or the farther away you can see. And so this would be essentially the biggest telescope you could possibly create on Earth by using wow. the Earth itself. Nice. Um, which sounds pretty rad. And then you don't really have to build all that much stuff because it's... Yeah. The majority of the work is being taken care of by the Earth, and is it is it um, almost like a distributed telescope? And so, like you're you're using different telescopes across the surface. Or are you actually building a sphere the size of a planet? No, no. It's a, the, the Earth. So the Earth um, functions like a lens when it comes to um, yeah. deflecting radio waves. Okay, right. And so a lot of you know so thinking of a telescope just as in terms of vis- visual light, visible light, if I'm understanding correctly, like part of why this guy was broadcasting sound is because telescopes are picking up waves of all kinds, right? They get into the yeah. radio spectrum and so uh-huh. on. Uh-huh. Um, and this is just me kind of talking, talking in my rear here, but the, the notion that you could make something so enormous with the earth itself, just by floating these two satellites, I still don't understand it fully, but you should ask some of your buddies at work. We can talk about it next time. Yeah, you know, I, I did go to a talk um, about a really, really interesting talk um, from a woman who worked on the photographing the black hole mm-hmm. project. And sure. um, as I understand it, it was I was really just kind of holding on for dear life, trying to, to keep my brain uh, going along. But um, it does seem like it was a distributed project where there's different sensors across the Earth. Mm-hmm. And then they they synthesize the data from those um, sensors across the earth into one data set in order to uh, capture the image. I'm not sure if there's, it sounds like there could be some overlap there. Which is mm-hmm. cool. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's cool. I'm taking a look at your guy with the geophone. Um, have you uh, encountered this thing on, it was sort of aggravatingly going around for a little bit, this, I- this idea of a movement called the new aesthetic <laughs> is it like neu no just n-e-w oh it was, no it was kind of funny i feel like it was some sort of art denizens oh. of the internet who were trying to lay claim yes it's, it's kind of like how we called modernism modernism and then yes that instantly feels old but it's um also i, I think it's you see it referred to as like vapor wave yes and so, so you'll have like a you know a traditional western classical bust which is all white of some dude, you know, staring blankly with no pupils. And then there'll be palm trees and neon laser lines in the background and shit like that. Uh 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 I'm just, yeah, I feel like Georgios is kind of in a similar territory at points. Um, 
which is funny to see. But you were telling me you wanted me to finish off this document. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what if his shape was a haircut? Uh, so we're looking at some classic punk examples um, with the photographer Derek Ridgers. Am I saying that correctly? I think so, yep. Yeah, where you have sort of, there's the classical mohawk, but then there's people also really experimenting with how can I... Um, it's it's what it's the haircut equivalent of the job killer tattoo, you know, where you've got like sixty nine tattooed in your forehead or something, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, with spikes coming out in different directions. You've also uh, got Japan represented with a person whose head is uh, hair hair is cut and dyed like a tomato. The ripe tomato look is a really great hairstyle. <laughs> I started working on this. Uh, started writing some of this stuff down a couple of days ago, and I finished it up this morning, and. Mm-hmm. Here's what I really liked about this process. When I got to where I got, I was like, oh, I have like 20 things I could do. And that was the point. And I was like, oh my gosh, it worked. (laughs) So (laughs) I feel like all of these are my own interpretations of Emily's work, right? Like Mm -hmm. I feel like me bringing radio to it, me bringing a haircut to it, me bringing sound to it are all things I'm interested in. So where Taylor, if you did it or someone else did it or one of our listeners did it, they would come up with their own references that they would sort of overlay onto someone else's work and so i thought it would be cool i kind of finished here because i thought it'd be cool for the podcast to just talk about um and maybe inspire or prompt some of our listeners to uh tell us about like how do they come up with their own ways of digging into inspiration like Mm -hmm. do they do it in the style that i just did which is sort of reinterpreting certain attributes of the thing but through a different medium or through a different expression or or what 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 do they do so so are you going to keep going? Like the, the whole idea, if you have ideas now, is to make them, right? I definitely have a couple of these ideas in here. Of I have drawings that sort of are coming off of these ideas a little bit more. And I like that over time, hopefully it'll be a, almost like a database. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, a couple things. Okay. Another thing that um, perhaps you've wanted me to forget, but but last week you or last time you tantalizingly mentioned that um some of your colleagues were good enough to give you critique with absolutely no yes. compliment yes that's and, right um, and have you got a couple of highlights to read to us oh i do let's see <laughs> yeah so if you didn't hear last week i i was kind of struggling at work and i decided i wanted to get like raw feedback from my coworkers about things they wish i did differently you mm-hmm. know um And I feel like the only way to do that is to really just demand like critique only, no compliments. You just have to only give me critique. You know, you think like, I'm ready for this. And then you get the feedback and you're like, oh. (laughs) Oh, oh, trust me, man. I've I've had course evals multiple times a year for the last 15 years. I get it. Great. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, There's no, there's no compliments in there. Let me tell you. (laughs) Uh 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 Okay. Criticism only for Rob Ray is what I call this Google form. Uh, It was anonymous. So people could write whatever, whatever they want. Mm. And uh, I'll just I'll just read one or two. Let's see. Setting more realistic expectations and commitments for for you or, or the commitments you're setting for other people. I think it's like what I say, what I think I can get done is how I interpreted that. I see. All right. <laughs> this is a perfect one for this podcast. And I was like, oh, stinger, stinger. Sometimes I just want a simple answer. And it's difficult for me to follow your train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yep. So there we go. All right. So yeah. you're just going to give us two this time? Well, yeah, I could give you another one. Let's see. Uh, sharing your work more regularly. I thought that was good. 
Yeah, well, that's that's just solid advice. But I and and they all poked things that I felt like I I knew was a weakness, but mm-hmm. like haven't really. I don't know. You know, it's like, ugh. well, having it externalized like that prevents you from being able to say, well, this is a self critique, but maybe nobody notices. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. I, yep. I should try to engage with that at some point if I'm feeling brave enough. You know, initially, my feeling is like, I know who wrote this, you know, and, <laughs> and it's been a few weeks and I kind of love that they answered. Like, it's really my sort of thing, like somehow my mental model shifted and I was like, yeah, I really appreciate that they said that, you know, like mm-hmm. my uh, my highlights when it comes to course evaluations one of my favorites was, for God's sake, please stop pacing. <laughs> Which is, it's like, listen, man, you tried teaching a four-hour studio class. What, am I just going to sit there and not do anything yeah. for four hours? Like, what am I supposed to do? And another good one was, um, and because of the way this was written in all caps with effectively as one paragraph long run-on sentence, but there was a student who said that um, I was talking to her, and I don't know that they... Maybe they did reveal their gender in there, but so I was talking to her and commented, you know, we were talking about how we were both tall. And then the professor immediately said, yes. And my, the funny thing is my wife is quite short. And that's when I realized that the professor thought that I was hitting on him. And I want to make it very clear that I was not and would never hit on him. <laughs> wow. Like, it was a super long walk. It's not even that I, you know, the, the classic professor stereotype is, oh, you're some kind of lech around your students, but then they were worried that I was worried that they weren't worried. Or, yeah, anyway. Yeah. I, I, that one was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, okay. So the, um, and just to make sure, she was saying that I was worried she was hitting on me, not the yes. other way around. Just yes. to be absolutely clear. <laughs> yep. Yep. Nope. Good point. Yep. And I was thinking, don't worry, student. I did not interpret it that way. Okay, anyway, um, a couple things on my end to relate. So uh, in addition to all of the teaching preparation, nobody wants to listen to that. I've been trying to develop out this um, project for controlling uh, fire, big uh, blasts of propane, flaming propane. Oh, for yeah, a right. Yep. Collaborative project. So some cool stuff that I've come across. Um, one is the Flaming Lotus Girls. Did, did I talk? I think I yes. talked about this group last yep. time. And so they turned me on to the, the unfortunately named poofersupply.com. Ooh. So it seems like in the in the field, the lingo is that if you want a big um, kind of cloud or blast or poof of uh, flaming profane, you've got to call it a poof, and it's created by a poofer. And I don't know why, but that um, it's kind of like that's the word great. slacks. It's just, it, you know, rubs me the wrong uh-huh, way. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, yeah. Moist. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I got a... Um, solenoid valve from this uh and it's it's pretty funny when you order from this site they say you know to keep prices down we've retrofitted this stuff so it's got the correct you know seal it's made out of viton and blah 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 but they're just not rated by some rating company so they're Mm. essentially saying this stuff's all going to work but don't don't come after us if you blow yourself up uh, but the valves are half the price of the professional ones. What do you want, Rob? Yep. Um, so I've got <laughs> some solenoid valves to play with. And also, I, I threw this up on Instagram, but this great um, igniter. It's known as a, a silicone nit- nitride igniter that you use for furnaces and stuff. Wow. Um, so you plug it into 110, and it's just instantly, like half a second later, glowing red hot. Whoa. And that's like for, you know, igniting bursts of propane okay. and stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Poofs, Rob. You made me say it. Poofs. poofs. igniting poofs. <laughs> <laughs> so um 
yeah, so so doing that research has been interesting, and then I've also really been getting into the um, the Quick Q W I I C is the I two C communication spec rebranded by oh. SparkFun and um, Adafruit. Have you messed with this at all? No, it's pretty interesting. So. You know, in yesteryear, I would assume you and I have both done projects where we have our boards communicating with each other via serial. Yes. And serial, you know, sometimes the command doesn't come through all the way. You drop letters. It's, you know, parsings can be a pain in the ass and so on. So I2C, the great thing about it is it just requires, um, I think, in addition to power and ground, it just requires two wires, so SLC and SDA. And then you can send out... Um, really robust signals over a long daisy chain. So in addition to just consuming two of your wires, say two of the you know GPIO contacts on a Raspberry Pi, you can also um, go out and daisy chain between lots of different sensors and boards because each one has its own ATtiny chip on it. So these chips are so cheap at this point that you're effectively having an entire microprocessor just for a button. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> for example so you have this little board with the button and that can you know it can remember when it's been pressed and it debounces itself and it can report back and do all these things and you could daisy chain out like 170 of them or something and then they all work you know kind of independently and then they're all communicating back on the same line and as long as each of them has its own unique address none of them stop on each other oh okay mm-hmm. anyway so the the system i'm, I'm just kind of getting into it um I think lots of different organizations are rebranding I2C specific to themselves. So Seed, S-E-E-E-D, I think theirs is called the Grove because they're using like a plant metaphor. Mm, Okay. In any case, as you can tell, there's been a lot of work (laughs) trying to figure this stuff out. So I've really had my nose in these technical solutions, both in terms of propane control and I2C. But that's That's stuff that's all going to be coming out in GitHub soon. That's great. Fire and electronics, what can go wrong? Yes, I'm I'm worried and excited at the same time. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I have somebody for you to take Let's a look at that you, you may have heard about because she's been getting a lot of attention this week. So give me a second. Let me find the URL. Cool. Yeah, so we don't have to watch the whole thing. I'll just tell you about it. Cool. But this is a graphic designer, I believe New York-based, named Lydia Cambrone, perhaps, or okay. Cambron. Um, so she's been getting a lot of attention in the last couple months because she remade the last 12 minutes of 2001, A Space Odyssey, uh, shot for shot in her own apartment by herself. Oh. So if you remember this movie, you know, the uh, uh, Dave, the main character, goes through the Amiga acid trip and winds up in this kind of metaphorical space where he sees himself on on his deathbed as an old man and as a young person and then also reborn as a star baby, if you recall this scene. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert for you millennials out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so she redoes the entire thing in her apartment and clearly has a very, very tight aesthetic and designerly eye. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even though it's just a New York apartment with you know really cramped spaces and so forth, she manages to do a pretty great job syncing everything up. And then she has to, of course, make decisions about, you know, when the floating star fetus comes along, how is she going to represent that with items around her house? So she, she subs out a pair of Crocs for the star baby and the, um, the monolith becomes an exercise machine and so forth. It's really good. 
So you should watch that and check it out. That's cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. These are these photos are great. They're really, yeah. really good. I mean, you can see. So you're looking at the photos beneath the video itself. Yeah. yeah. I love in the in the first one to to mimic the title card for 2001, uh, which has you know at a certain point when all computer images had those horizontal lines to yep. suggest scan lines. Yep. So she's recreating that, um, but with the blinds in her it's window. Beautiful. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, so she there's a bunch of really great um, nods in there, and I think it's an awesome example of somebody who, like, I do not agree. I will not allow this person to be claimed by design exclusively. I think she's totally an artist as well, For sure. uh, even if yeah. she doesn't <laughs> refer to herself in that way. But if, if you look at her, um, all the rest of the stuff in her portfolio, she clearly has a great sense of humor in addition to those technical chops. Cool. That's really great. Uh, there was an another artist who simulated a part of 2001 a space odyssey in her house Mm -hmm. oh really (laughs) yeah and it may have only been one scene that i saw but it was the scene of like going through the uh like when i forget what the person's name is who's in conflict with hal that dave yeah dave yeah yeah when he's going through like the airlock i can't do that dave yeah she like enters her uh front-loading washing machine like (laughs) (laughs) right well see if you can find it yeah yeah i'll look for it yeah is this your person who we should think about uh being inspired by yeah lydia cameron cameron awesome um and and part of the reason i'm picking it is because i'm gonna assign my students a project where they have to um grab a clip of a a commercial movie um and I found I was talking about black hole in a previous episode, right? The way that you can hijack your sound. So actually, at the moment, you can effectively use QuickTime to copy small clips of movies off of YouTube if you use black hole to route the sound. Ooh. Um, and then because we're doing it for educational purposes, it's you know under the fair use and everything. Yeah. Um, so I've also been doing a bunch of research on fair use, so I can understand where we're at currently. Um, and as long as you're critiquing the original media, right, that's one of the big protections out there with fair use. So it's not so much about, are you making money and this and that, but if you're, if you're taking the piss out of it, apparently that's, that's one of the big ways you can get away Mm -hmm, with it. mm -hmm. Nice. Excellent. So I'm I'm going to try to do something in that, you know, in that area. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. Lydia Combron, we will link to Lydia in show notes so people can uh, get to the website quickly. Also, if you just Google um, her name, it should show up pretty quickly, especially with the word mm-hmm. 2001 in there. Um, oh, Taylor, we have a new segment that we talked about a little bit a week ago or so. Wah, in, wah, wah. The sad trombone. Yeah, mistakes yeah. were made is <laughs> the thing I wrote down. We discovered last episode that both Taylor and I each separately made a mistake in the episode. And we thought that since opposable thumbs is about kind of the, the very ethos or premise of the podcast is to embrace your mistakes and recognize them, learn from them and be inspired by them. We thought we would highlight the two mistakes that we made. Um, Taylor, I'll go first on mine if you want, and then you can speak to yours if, if you want. Cool. Last episode, I misgendered Emily as they. I believe Emily uses the she pronoun. I think people should be called what they want to be called. Uh, and so apologies to Emily on that. And uh, Taylor, what, um, what what was yours? 
I suppose I should email Mohit and ask how to pronounce his last name, which we've been pronouncing right. Boyt, I, right. be- I believe, which I'm unsure about, but I, I mispronounced him as Rohit. There's a sort of um, social political event that happened after we talked about this that I think is particularly interesting. Mm. Tucker Carl- Carlson insisted on mispronouncing Kamala Harris as Kamala, and this the guy this guy called him out on it. And of course, Tucker Carlson's first response was, okay, so what? And then his second comment was, you're not allowed to criticize Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris or whatever. And it's like, that is a perfect example to me of why, why owning your mistakes is important, right? Because people like Tucker Carlson don't own their mistakes, like deliberately. Owning your mistakes goes beyond like, hey, I cut a piece of wood to the wrong size. So maybe I can make something else from this miscut, right? It like if you're going to be inspired by mistakes and learn from them, you have to really think about them in a bigger context. So, did you did you watch the DNC? Right, because they also apparently, I think she's married to a guy who had kids before they were married, so they've got a blended okay. family. Uh, I could be uh, wrong uh, about that, but they call her Mamala. Uh, <laughs> nice, that's great. And I think the the biggest underscore for me was, of course, Tucker Carlson is mispronouncing it in a way that like Donald Trump mispronounces people whose names aren't super white, right? Like, well, sure, he's dog whistling it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also immediately does this sleight of hand to be like, oh, it's a mistake, and now I can't even critique someone because I made a mistake. You know, it's just like the perfect gross uh, cocktail. We won't go this long about mistakes were made every episode. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, to me at least. Yeah, for sure. Good checking in. That was great, uh, Lydia. Cambron or Cambron, we don't know the last name, mm-hmm. last name pronouncing quite right. Check out her work; it's really cool, really funny too. Yes. All right. See you later, dude. Cool. See you later. We're not we're not messing around right now. Nope. <laughs>